Hey everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today, I'm talking to Sonny O'Brien, who, going off his last name, is in fact my long-lost tall and skinny twin. Uh, We're chatting today about his practice and, mostly, about the politics of global issues like climate change. It's a good and interesting podcast, though also one where maybe I do a bit more talking than I usually would. But anyway, here's some regular housekeeping. Uh, You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, but if you're listening, you've probably already done that. And so we're still continuing that previous campaign. We want you to tell just one friend about the House Conspiracy podcast. Send them a link and tell them how they can join over 600 regular listeners in engaging with the documentation of Brisbane-based emerging artists. So yeah, spread the love. And now, on to the show. Sonny's studio has always, when it's been unlocked, uh, appeared chaotic to me. Um, He's doing so much. He's developing prints in his darkroom, producing a digital film on his laptop, experimenting with form. As he says on this podcast, he's spent a lot of his residency engaged in play, which makes sense to me because, well, it speaks so much to his personality. Sonny is such a warm guy to have around the house, and, well, I, I think you'll understand that when you first hear him laugh during this podcast. He rides this red and white bike to and from his studio that looks like a two-wheeled Lightning McQueen, and he comes and goes without much fanfare. And he's always, always doing something different. To talk about all those different things, here's Sonny O'Brien. Um, so animation, yeah, we're trying to do an animation, and you also yeah. animate uh, that conflict, but possibly, possibly not, but you do animation. Mm. Um, in fact, you, you do just about everything, so, Sonny yeah. O'Brien, <laughs> what the heck is your practice? I have no idea, that's a really good question, actually, so, I kind of like it that way, um, not really knowing what I do, because it means I can continue exploring, I'm not, like, tied into a particular medium, but, yeah, my practice is just several things, just working in animation, photography, uh, drawing and illustration too now, mm-hmm. and a lot of coding based stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of your works also um, delve sort of into sort of is it pastiche or collage? It's sort of both. Is yeah, collage yeah. a kind of I, pastiche? I don't I don't even know what pastiche means. Yeah, cool. Like, Let's go with collage. Yeah, go with collage, yeah. Um, but I think pastiche was just sort of a postmodernist term about sort of overlapping imagery mm. essentially, particularly pre existing imagery. Yeah, I guess they're really similar. Um, and like, I've gotten hung up on the the terms too, because when you're writing didactic, it's, um, I get really OCD about having the correct type of, type of medium. So why why is that? Because you feel like you need your didactics to like lend credibility to your work, or yeah, yeah. I, no, I think it might just be like an OCD thing in my brain, but it is kind of nice giving that kind of credibility to know exactly what the medium was, and yeah. Mm. Um. So you've just moved sort of into drawing. Um, what what is it? I guess let's let's start with sort of how did your process? How how did you start your artistic journey? What is it that you first remember doing, and sort of when? What were you creating, sort of at your youngest sort of creative stages? Like very young. Yeah, very yeah, young. yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. go. Let's go from the beginning. I remember in year three at Western State School, 
I was um, a time when I was just doing really terrible scribbles and drawing and after school care we would always kind of create characters and and play around with that as well, kind of RPG elements and it was lots of fun. And I also remember there was another artist in my grade who was extremely talented at drawing and ever since like I saw one of her illustrations I thought gosh I really want to be that good and ever since ever since yeah that moment I thought well I just want to keep practicing see how I can continue to improve so it's kind of been that ongoing mm -hmm. struggle to get a particular like aesthetic down I guess like that one image it was like amazing <laughs> do you know what it was of I can't remember really right now at all it was I think um it might have been you know when you're young you just have like fantasy imagery and so it must have been something like that I don't know and then also going up through um, primary school too, there were a lot of other talented artists I was around. So, mm -hmm. and then from there, um, yeah, I've just always been obsessed with just doodling and scribbling. Like I've got a little journal where I'd, I'd uncovered the other week and it had stuff from 2006 and I dated it every year. So it's kind of like a bit of a memory journal. So that's what I started out doing is just scribbling and doodling. And you sort of see yourself progress over time. Have you? Yeah, you do. do. It's really fun. Yeah. You mentioned sort of your, your journey towards like sort of acquiring or developing an aesthetic, a clear sort of personal aesthetic. Do you think you're there, or do you think you're still going? Um, I know that's a that's a really tough. Yeah. No, question. I don't. I don't think I'm I'm going to be tied down. But particularly with the collage elements, they're they're really easy and quick for me to just throw out. Mm -hmm. So. Like it's not hard for me to kind of see how the composition will be laid out and just kind of move things around uh, until they they appeal to my eye. So they they probably fall within a particular style and and look, but other things such as the the photography, um, the ones that would, that I've been doing here, they're just completely different. They're not similar to that at all, and that's the kind of benefit of working in different mediums. You don't have the the constraints of working in a particular style so mm. you can continue to explore yeah and um it's interesting that you sort of talk all about visual art because i believe a few years ago you were awarded a vice chancellor scholarship at qt for your music practice mm, so yeah. talk about that your music practice and sort of how that ties to your visual art because you, you talk about that a lot yeah um, like we went driving the other day to go shopping to buy these new microphones and you talked a lot about sort of how your music feeds into your art and whatnot, and we listened to some good music in the car. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yes, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to hear you talk sort of on the podcast about sort of your connection to music and how that feeds into your visual art. Okay. And well, vice versa. Well, I've got a, there are a couple um, couple personalities I've created in the music um, I've been making for the past couple of years, and I've kind of split yeah I've split them up in these personalities and. And they've, they've kind of become their own theme and own character. So that, that kind of ties into these um, different aesthetics too. They might have a particular mood or mm -hmm. um, like one's more somber, another one's really nihilistic and the other one's just more dancey. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I do a lot of um, a lot of house music and that's always been um, appealing to me. But um, the way that feeds into the visual arts is um, I'll create a track and I will need like an EP or a logo or something to go to it and then that's a matter of just thinking about how that mood ties in with it um, yeah I hope that answers and that you, when you say you've got sort of different um, 
personas are they literally like do you have like um, pseudonyms or are, are they sort of personas that exist in your head well oh sorry maybe not personas more kind of um, I guess just tied around themes and, and styles they're not they're not personalities or personas they're, they're just kind of different worlds different worlds um, yeah that that the visual art then ties into then I can then attach and kind of you know reinforce that that aesthetic mm. yeah and a, lot, and a lot of your and a lot of your visual art, especially sort of your um, collage pastiche stuff, yeah. does sort of recall album art. Like, there's some stuff here that actually looks a little bit like not to not to say you're being derivative, but looks a bit like the cover of Tycho's. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Tycho's records. Mm. Um, but then you also obviously play sort of beyond that pastiche. You play in sort of programming based art, and mm. um, I haven't really talked to anyone on the podcast about it, but it's. It's it's a, it's really really interesting to me sort of that that connection to technology. I think the last artist we had was Liam Hearn back in first round who does these great things with screen grab, but he isn't actually using. He's just commenting on technology, not using it. Yeah. And you do a lot of dot works, which I assume are programming generated. Mm. Can you talk about that 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 process? Is it alienating at all to sort of be working with? Um, a tech medium that sort of generates your art like how do you still mm. keep it organic and meaningful to you mm. yeah well that's a that's a challenge I think since computer generated art started emerging is kind of being able to control the algorithms to a degree I guess that's like every process though I think a lot of chance based artists in the 20th century were you know throwing paint against like a canvas but then it was really controlled they would have like elements of randomness in there but then they kind of were very selective of what the outcoming result would have been. Mm-hmm. So I think that's exactly the same with co- using computers and technology to produce forms. Um, but could, sorry, could you reiterate? I yeah, I wanted to. I wanted you to. I guess yeah. Keep talking about this. This is really good. Um, yeah, yeah. About like yeah, uh, how you relate to the algorithms that you use and how. It- yeah, yeah. Well, I, a lot of them are kind of feedback based really basic to really simple mm-hmm. the and the um, language allows that it's, ba- it's a library based on Java mm-hmm. Java so <clears throat> I use a lot of for loops and um, uh, conditionals that are only a couple lines of code but they produce really complex images which is excellent because it's kind of very similar to the analog to- photo- photographic process like you put something in developer and you don't know how it's going to come out which is really exciting for me i love not knowing what the result's actually going to be so that i find that very appealing and then doing slight alterations can then produce completely different images so that's what's really appealing to the coding side of things and then you can get things that it would take a human a very long time to produce um, within a couple seconds and then vary it so much so it allows for a lot of experimentation Mm-hmm. And you're, you're doing this sort of all in uh, what ID do you use? Uh, this is just in processing, which was, I think, um, created by, I think his name's Ben Fry from MIT and another, uh, Casey Reese, I think, maybe, uh, from MIT. And they, they, they produce it particularly for designers and artists. So it's got okay. very, very easy to learn syntax. So yeah, for any, any people that are listening that are interested in that, just processing, it's very simple to learn. Flexible software sketchbook. Yep. Yeah, rad. Um, so when did you when did you first 
get into that? Was that did that start as sort of a hobbyist thing? Have you always sort of been a, a tech focused person, and is that how you got there, or were you looking to do something and tech was the answer? Uh, I guess I don't know. I guess we're all kind of we've all grown up on around computers now, mm-hmm. and like that was my father's solution for raising me. He like bought me a, a GameCube for my little brother and me when we were really young, and I wouldn't wouldn't spend too much time with him. I'd just be basically on the computer, and I remember. The memories only have been resonating with me um, for the past couple months is um, back when I was back when I was playing RuneScape. Oh yeah, for sure. Back, back when I was playing RuneScape. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a forum, and uh, I was registered on that, and I created a thread for creating animated gifs, mm-hmm. and there were just little little ASCII character blocks of text that would kind of flash, and they'd have these really cool colors that were really bright. And um, I'd take requests, I'd like not commit, pay commissions or anything, but people would type out the name and they'd, how they'd want it designed. And I'd do that up for them, and that was kind of the hobby at the time. And then there was Albino Black Sheep as well. Yep, I remember so, Albino yeah, Black Sheep. Classic. And um, that one, I think there was a thread for doing parodies of like, um, I think it might have been, yeah, just kind of mashups, just kind of mashups. And I'd posted. It was an image of Master Chief with Guitar Hero or something. Yeah. And I, I was like 10 or something, so that was that was really childish. But I got a good response from that. Even some people were like, wow, that was really cool. So, um, and since then, I've growing up now, I've become more interested in kind of, this is something we're going to explore in the future, is taking advertising elements and kind of continuing to mash those up, similar to, I uh, forget what the organisation uh, Europe's called. But there's a, a group of artists that are very talented at doing that. So technology's just been me, with me my whole life, and and now I'm wanting to explore how it's affecting me as a human as well. Mm. And it's interesting, sort of, uh, you talking about sort of the, the parody memory because yeah. I mean you do a lot of the collage pastiche mm. stuff, like, and that's yeah. that's exactly how I describe mashing up Master Chief and Guitar Hero, right? <laughs> Um, and you have played with uh, advertising a little bit in a couple of your pastiches, too, mm. I believe. Yeah. Um, is that so? Looking at sort of how technology affects you, what is what is your perception of that? Sort of rather than just sort of vaguely putting that out there, because I think it's really easy to sort of yeah shit on technology essentially. Yeah, um, yeah, most definitely. What is what is it tangibly sort of mean for you? What are, what are the things you notice that have changed or been affected whether positively or negatively um yeah i don't know exactly how to answer that because i have a lot of ideas that i form when i'm just lying in my bed just thinking but Mm -hmm. um the internet's kind of permeated our culture a lot more than it used to like in the mainstream sense of the word like i can't imagine as many people on their smartphones or computers when i was growing up that's for sure so if you try and kind of look back and recall a time when you weren't around a computer, um, it's difficult for us, but the coming generation is going to be completely immersed in it. And, you know, we're spending far less time with nature now. Um, most of it's just in front of the computer screen, and I'll catch myself at times just while I'm at the computer just reflecting, holy crap, I spent the whole day just in front of this thing. So, uh, that's, I think it's negative in the sense of that when you're not having the opportunity to experience nature and immerse yourself in it, particularly when it's dying, when we're, we're going through this horrible change. Um, so that's really interesting, kind of the relationship 
between a phone ringing and me talking about technology. But the house conspiracy phone, which no one has the number for, is calling. So very conspiracy. Speaking of the technology, we just got a call by a robot. <laughs> Actually, was it just telemarketing? No, it wasn't. It was a Telstra probably telling us that um, the person who pays our phone, it's a long story. We don't pay our phone bill. Uh, it was the yeah. phone was installed for a theater show that was put on here called um, Dream the House, which won an Anywhere Festival award uh, in 2017. I'm just doing a bit of a pimp bit yeah, before yeah. we come back into no, that's what cool. you were saying. I think, about. I, think you, I think you were here, I was here when you were pulling out the phone, but you were like, holy crap, what is this? <laughs> I, I don't get that excited about phone bills. <laughs> I might. I might. Um, Hey, so uh, you, you're sort of you're, you're tying to that nature stuff. Um, mm. Nature stuff. That sounds so dismissive, but yeah. a lot of your practice that you're doing here in House Conspiracy is around nature, is around um, chlorophyll prints. Did you end up doing that sort I of thing? Unfortunately, didn't. I was going to do it this week, but due to the weather, mm. I can't. Yeah, the clouds just obstructed the light from the sun, and I wasn't able to do it. But I did just do another test with um, a step wedge, which is just a gradation of um, blacks through to whites. So that was uh, really cool. It took two days, I think, to expose. So if it wasn't raining right now, I would have been able to complete a portrait of everyone in the um, mm. house. But sadly, yeah, due to circumstances, I won't be able to do it. But good experimentation anyways. Yeah, you've been you've been doing a lot of sort of different experimentation. Is it, is it, is it, is it fair to say that sort of that's been your focus of your residency is sort of yeah, just yeah. mass experimentation? Because whenever I see you in your room, you're... You're making a different kind of mess. Um, <laughs> it's a mess room. It's pretty tidy now, but it was a very messy room. I mean, it's I don't care. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so long as it's clean at the end, I, I have no no qualms. Um, but I, I guess like, uh, if you could speak on sort of what you've been doing in your residency, yeah, that'd be wild. Yeah, of course. Well, uh, from the beginning, I think my intention was to maybe have more focused in direction in like having a particular thing I was only going to work in but uh, the outcome was just kind of play it ended up being me having the opportunity to go back to being younger maybe like back in high school and just drawing for maybe two hours or just experimenting with the mediums for a very long time so I've started off doing the cyanotype prints and that's a mix of two chemicals um, combined into two solutions and then applied to watercolour paper and then exposed to UV light. So I was doing that. And uh, in the past week I was doing marbling. So I had to have carrageenan, the other one's alum, and making sure the prints came out well. But um, of course, like some of them were failures and learned a little bit from that too. And then uh, a little bit of film editing too, because I'm going to, hoping to in time have a projection occurring. Yeah, um, wow. For the thing, yeah, it's only a little thing, only yeah, just for yeah. the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what um, has that been? Because a lot of your process has been like very organic, sort of in terms mm. of development and turning your studio into a dark room. Yeah. The projection that you're working on is that sort of very digital art based, or is that sort of using the organics uh, to develop it? That'll be digital based. I, I haven't been using. I know people who do the film stuff, and that's crazy because doing dark room photography is really time consuming and really frustrating too getting these temperatures right so I can't imagine how scary it would be to you know put a roll of film in a tank and try not to screw that up 
Also, is this PG? Can I can I you can swear? swear? Okay, you can cool, swear. cool. You can swear. Yeah, yeah. So um, that would be very difficult. That would be very challenging. Um, but no, this one's entirely digital based. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And um, so with all the play and with all that, you've had sort of a few grounding themes. Mm. Um, speak on that. What 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 have you been sort of concerned mm-hmm. with? Yeah, okay. That's sort of been grounding then all the experimentation you've been doing. Yeah, so going back to kind of the technology and nature relationship, um, I have a huge anxiety about the issues of climate change and what's happening to the planet at the moment. Um, so that's kind of been a huge direction and influence for the work currently. And a lot of collage in the past too is, um, is mashing up landscapes and um, creating different forms from, yeah, photographs of just um, landscape photography. Uh, so that's been the major concern for the cyanotypes. I was capturing, you know, just, it was simple stuff, just leaves in the backyard and um, also plastic bags too and seeing how that those forms would appear. So they're mainly experiments and I haven't had, a, didn't have a finalised form that I ended up creating a series from. But that's that's been fun anyways, I've kind of seen how they look. and. The blueprints look, um, they have like a certain nostalgia for me as well. And um, What is that? What's what's the in nostalgia? Is it a personal nostalgia? Is it a nostalgia of an idea of nature? or? I'm not, I think the colour itself, we've tied in with the, the forms of the plants and I guess that's what I ended up exploring um, in that regard is because these, we're facing mass extinction currently. It's like crazy. I think it... I heard some reports a couple of years ago it was 10 species a day, but now some scientists are saying 100 species a day. So that's really startling and frightening to me. So that that nostalgic quality of having the the photograms of the um, plants and um, kind of like a little time capsule of them in a way. But the blue is adds something really strange and nostalgic to it. So the bl- the blue is sort of an emotional anchor yeah. for what you're trying to explore sort of like yeah. a, in the same way that, that you tend to talk about about music being sort yeah. of an enhancing element is yeah. that fair to say? yeah that's right I don't yeah, know yeah. putting words yeah, in your mouth it, it creates, creates the atmosphere yeah yeah. yeah. and which is what the whole um, space is going to be in the end so I've actually kind of tied that in with the marbling as well I only use two colours I use blue and yellow um, and it relates back to ocean acidification as well so that's that's a major thing because we it used to be the ocean used to be this magical mysterious wonderful thing and once again the relationship with technology and nature we've just forgotten about that it no longer um, has its appeal I haven't been to the beach in maybe two three years but that's just what the city does to you and now it's acidifying and that's kind of what the marbles represent is um, is that the forms kind of representing the ocean becoming degraded, sadly. Why marbles? What, what, what uh, is the essence there? The marbling? Mm. I don't know, I think I guess the form kind of just looks like the ocean a little bit. Mm. Um, so that's that's kind of a bit to do with my practice is all like, um, I don't know whether it works with the idea coming first before the medium or sometimes the medium coming first and then the idea because I'm learning these things. Like I've never done marbling before so I wasn't exactly sure how the results would turn out besides from looking at other artists. So I looked at that and, and thought, oh crap, well that looks like the ocean, that really ties in with what I'm kind of exploring. And I used the other colours to kind of represent 
emotion, um, just dying really. <laughs> yeah, to put it really bluntly. Um, so yeah, that's that's why I chose modeling. Mm. And the ocean recurs in um, some of your other mm. work on your website sunnybrand.com. <laughs> um, you've got you've got this work that's particularly striking. There's a few, but um, this one sort of stands out to me, especially in what you're talking about today. It's called To Float, um, mm. which looks like it's a relatively recent work. No, it's not. Actually, well, really? it kind of is. I think it was in, in two years, yeah. Yeah, so the last, the last two years. years. It's, it's just up the top of the website, so I assumed. But um, it's, a, it's an old landscape picture of uh, waves coming in on a beach and then just this towel collaged on top of it. <laughs> I I I love it. I yeah. think I think it's a superb work. Is it is it is this a purely aesthetic thing or is this speaking to sort of similar concerns to what you're speaking to now? I don't think of it in terms of that, but the, definitely um, when I'm doing the photo media or collage stuff, I will start with I will always pretty much start with a landscape and then putting something else on top. But I never thought of it that way. Um, it was kind of uh, me experimenting with simple forms. But I think there are a lot of pieces that have that in there. There are a lot of landscapes in the background. If they're not gradients, they're most likely pictures of the ocean or um, or mountains or something similar to that. Yeah. So you're a big bushwalker, or? Ah, uh, no. But I went. Uh, my friend I was just talking about earlier, who did the animating. His father invited me to bird watching, which I've never done it before, and it was it was great. It's um, they're really they're really on point with um, picking out birds too. It's pretty freaky, but it was nice getting away from the city. And Where'd you go to do it? Um, I can't remember for the life of me. I was just sitting in the car, just looking out the window the whole time, um, and wouldn't be able to keep track of it. But yeah, it was it was nice just being around. You know, still it's an artificial forest to some degree, but getting away mm -hmm. from from the city is so wonderful. Yeah, what do you mean by uh, artificial forest? Is it like a specific bird watching yeah, area? Yeah, yeah. Or I guess so. Like I think I think for me, um, a lot of it is very uh, very man made. All of it's man made. Like we've we've kind of permeated the natural landscape so much that's really difficult to tread on areas that haven't being colonized or um, or reaped for their resources or become a tourist destination so even when you're going on a nature walk there's footsteps on the ground it's impossible to like walk like that's why space exploration is so appealing to people now that's like an area and a domain that we haven't gone to but now the planet's just been become so um, treaded upon that it's difficult to find a place that isn't human and artificial I guess it's not artificial. It depends how you your philosophy. On you, that, you 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 mean in the way that like there are little wooden lookouts or there are yeah. paths that you follow because the paths have been treaded and the grass has been cut down around those paths exactly. and there are bush rangers like yeah. like like artificially managed space. Yeah, I guess curated so. space. That's a good way of putting it. Curated, yeah, that's very right. Um, but you can find that's the thing though. You can find nookers. I think it really just depends on your, your perspective. If you went. If you went just even in your backyard and you just look down on the grass, that's that isn't really treaded upon. You look down closely and it's a microscopic level. So then you have a deep engagement with um, with the environment. So that's really important for me is going back to that um, that feeling in that state. 
because it's going. It's, it's just falling apart around us, which um, we don't pay notice of. And that's why the technology is interesting to me, again, because it's seriously separating us now. So you're, 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 your work has a certain outlook, right? And it's mm. like climate change is probably an inherently political issue. Mm. Um, and so your work engages with sort of natural forms, but it engages with colours that you describe as nostalgic. And we tend to be nostalgic for things that aren't coming back. Mm. So, what's your outlook on sort of the future? You're not, you're not a, you're not a depressive. You're not, you don't come across as sort of a, a pessimistic guy. Mm. But your work maybe speaks sort of a little bit to an ambiguity. So, what's what's your outlook on sort of where things are going? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it, it's um, looking good. But I like the comment you just made about kind of the artwork having a bit bit of a bit of its own voice because you're right about my personality like I'm I don't I'm not depressed most of the time although I have had bouts of it when I think about this kind of stuff but you know given the circumstance it, it doesn't look great unless we do become more politically engaged and I used to be hugely apathetic about any kind of policy or polit- political involvement and now I don't know what it was that kind of um came out of me that made me a lot more interested maybe i read chomsky for the first time (laughs) (laughs) so i think that happens to a lot of people but um yeah it's it's not great great for us and it is a political issue that we have to kind of become more engaged with but technology is making that just increasingly more difficult because it kind of tranquilizes us it makes us really comfortable and and this is the most dire situation the human species has ever faced every other species too yeah yeah um i don't know if you you really answer my question maybe not is it because you find it kind of like actually here's here's a more interesting question maybe is that um you mentioned that you sort of get depressed when you think about issues like this to macro these macro issues depress you on a personal level and why is it that they sort of hit you so hard do you think well I guess it kind of ties in with being aware of your own um, mortality in a way but that that's coming from a selfish perspective I think why is it selfish well, in the sense of the, the globe itself is a hugely interconnected um, system. So all the biological processes feed into each other. And I think there's a common outlook amongst humans to see that we're, we're the ones that are going to save the day. And it's great to think that we're the ones that have caused it because we are powerful enough to cause mass change. But the grieving for me is not so personal as well as kind of thinking about mortality on a large scale too and that's why it's challenging for me to think about these things on a personal level is because you're not just dealing with your own mortality you're dealing with kind of a um extinction of the planet really it's it's crazy and that's one of the things i'm i'm trying to explore in my music as well um as as the artworks now too but it's, it's kind of going towards that direction because that really drives me emotionally. Like, it's something that I think about pretty often. Yeah. 
the mortality of not only you but of dozens yeah. of species a, yeah. a day potentially exactly that's right and i think that's that's definitely something that um that can weigh down and make us depressed if we're thinking about yeah death death occasionally or um or you know just just general world issues it's it's not a good idea knowing about world issues <laughs> it's really not so but yeah the way we do is just through through technology now mm. it's interesting right like like we get the paper to our phones but our phones are part of the problem yes yes <laughs> that's very good um so when you're what you say like engaging with world issues is an incredibly emotionally arduous um mm. i mean yeah we i mean we, we were semi 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 joking yeah. about sort of uh semi joking about various sort of this sort of stuff before we started yeah. the podcast um do you find that you need to fluctuate like sometimes you're really engaged and sometimes you just need to switch off from being engaged in world issues yeah exactly well, i'm not even i'm not even engaged but just kind of like thinking about it and trying to try to deal with it emotionally i just have to you know watch something or distract because that's another thing i don't think humans are capable that's why we are distracted this is because psychologically i don't think we're capable of dealing with it because we've kind of evolved you know over the over the so many years to just not even um comprehend that kind of thing it's incomprehensible it's like thinking of infinity you just can't think of it or you can think about it but like it being an actuality it just like boggles your mind so to think about you know climate change and that what that's why we have so many denialists as well is because um not only has advertising and media massively influenced people's opinions but also because psychologically we're kind of um constrained to not be able to comprehend it so that's that's how i i feel about it at least is it's um it's very difficult to kind of deal with it all the time so even me i like everyone does it we just need to kind of distract ourselves so i'll i'll play a video game or watch a movie or something and that'll give me peace or do art as well art's kind of the release for it now mm -hmm. like a sort of cathartic sort of release or a distraction in another distraction distraction yeah cathartic release is kind of i think actually going into going into nature and 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 meditating like just kind of calming myself mm. Mm. so you're advocating distraction i don't i don't think we can do anything but that's the thing i think i think that's the biggest ch challenge actually is kind of just getting over the we have to get over the media and the entertainment that's around us and and then take political action but that's happened throughout history i think i'm pretty sure like um but now it's on a huge scale like we have our computers all the time the phones in our pockets um so i'm not advocating i'm saying it's difficult to get around around that problem mm. yeah i mean it's it's not an easy it's not an easy mm. uh problem to solve at all right because yeah. I mean, there's so many nations, so many nations on the move. And then yeah. you've got, you know, um, leaders like Trump who are pulling mm. out of climate agreements. Yeah. And then, but you've also got the world's response to that, which has been sort of like in terms of what it could potentially mean for climate mm. was actually like a very positive yeah. response. Like I, I don't advocate accelerationism. I think it's a mm. very foolish ideology. Like, you know, mm. the idea that like, if really bad things happen, then uh, good people will be good faster. It just—it's just not true. Mm. Um, 
uh, you know, you look at history and it's just, it's just not true. But mm. yeah, I think, do you think that ironically technology could be the savior of global warming? Like, mm. will, well, it be, will it be through further progress that we will end up perhaps conquering the beast? Yeah, I think there's reason to be optimistic about it because we've definitely, um, you know, overcome so many challenges, so many. And a lot of those uh, resolutions and solutions have kind of come through facing adversity. It's always just through facing suffering that we've been able to overcome it and create solutions to our problems. And now we've reached this pinnacle where we're actually, we are literally, people who are in Western society are in, in heaven. The rest of the world, like, it's very sad and just as just as horrible as it's ever been but this is currently pretty much heaven on earth we've re- reached a pinnacle where we're we're doing really well but um as for the question of whether technology can actually solve the problems that are kind of happening behind our back uh that's that's for me personally a kind of question of well the 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 answer that whether it can can it can it solve it uh maybe it's possible but that's kind of a bit anthropocentric as well like thinking we can cure something as complex as the world is pretty pretty full-on i think what we can do now is mitigate um and there's a lot of a lot of innovation in that regard but there's political no political will from higher ups of course like donald trump is just fucking <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> I don't know I haven't got I have the answers no idea unbelievable but um, that's the problem there's like so much great scientific and and uh, great community um, engagement too in Brisbane there's uh, the Right to the City group that started up and they're, they're doing a lot of really really small but wonderful kind of campaigns just in our city um, we started a community garden that got bulldozed um, only a couple of weeks ago and uh, but little things like that are really promising. I don't think it's going to come from technology. I think it's going to come from people who are at the grassroots who are engaging politically. So, um, and technology is funded by higher ups too. So it's going to be um, until something happens to capitalism, it's just going to be consumer goods. Um, like someone's going to just capitalize on climate change. I mean, they are already. Yeah, really. that's right. I mean, that's. I mean, Elon Musk. Really, yeah, yeah. like, is is selling Solar City ba- and Tesla based on its eco friendliness? That's um, right. That well, that that's good. I think this the renewable energy um, business strategy is great because we need to move over to that. What I'm scared of is people um, in disaster situations capitalizing on that, having kind of mitigation. Well, not mitigation, but disaster. Um, solutions I don't even know what form they'd be in like even something as simple as water and food that'll just be kind of a way for someone to make money and it's going to come from you know um, Gina Reinhardt and Murdoch and all those people because they have the money I did um did you see that film The Big Shot um, what is it? Big the Big Shot no so it's a film about the the financial crisis and the people who predicted it was going to happen and made billions and billions of dollars uh, based on sort of predicting that everything would go bottoms up. Um, and the guy who first predicted it yeah. um, is now doing the exact same thing, but with the water market. Wow. Holy um, which, which, is, which is how the film ends, is with a little bit of text mm. telling you that, that that's his new game. But um, I wanted to uh, sort of go back to like 
I have like three follow-up questions. I don't know if we'll get to all of them. I hope yeah, we do. Yeah, of course. But yeah. um, <clears throat> uh, the first one I want to get to is um, you said that sort of it's probably our role to, to, to mitigate rather than to solve. Mm. Does that mean that you don't, you, you believe that it's just essentially a matter of extending the amount of time until our inevitable demise due to climate change mm. in terms of mitigation? Like, are you sort of looking at like end of life care essentially, but for the human mm. race? That's, that's a sick question. Um, I just read a book by, I think his name's Tony Fry. I think mm -hmm. he's a, um, he's a lecturer, uh, PhD alumni of Griffith in Brisbane actually. And he, he published a book, I think, called Climate Cities. And he's got little snippets throughout that book when he's kind of describing how designers have to face these problems and provide solutions themselves. And he's always pointing out sustainability. Like, everyone's talking about sustainability, but that's what your question gets at. It's like, sustainability for what? What are we actually sustaining? So that's an excellent question is, are we going to continue sustaining a status quo of our current, like, heavenly bliss or are we going to have to kind of cut back our expectations and live in a world where we might be eating jellyfish on kelp or something like that? So I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I do think that we have to kind of no longer sustain a particular model. And I think a lot of people um, feel the exact same way. It is unsustainable. And if we go into sustainability, what is that actually sustaining? Of course, like what what that means is just alternative solutions that are sustainable but it's a good philosophical question do you know what any of those alternative models might be i think the renewable energy yeah sector but that takes once again that takes a lot of money um cutting back on our food um they're all simple kind of things that i can immediately think of but it's extremely complex because um the everything's based on food and we need to be able to have water of course so there's people thinking of investing in biofuel but we're going to need those crops to be able to feed civilization so uh, those are some things i guess renewable energy is definitely one of the most exciting but of course it's going to be really really a pain in the ass to go against the the coal industry but I think we are making much faster strides than than we thought we would. Like Definitely, it's, yeah. It's not looking. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm not a political analyst, but it's not looking like the Adani mine is going to get up. Really, that's necessarily. That's excellent. Yeah. Um, a lot of banks are sort of limping out on it. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't take that as gospel, but that's my intuition. Yeah. Is that I don't know if that will happen. Um, but the next question I have was uh, sort of like another sort of maybe pseudo philosophical statement on sort mm. of your your long answer before and that is you mentioned sort of that the answer is local local work and local um engagement and i want to i want to push back on that because i yeah. i i, I want to ask how do you think we can solve these massive global issues mm. that are affecting everyone how can we possibly combat that effectively on a local level mm. uh, i really have no no way of yeah, commenting on that. 
I have I have friends who study international law, and they'd be the best person to be sit, sitting right next to me right now. I know, like, I know. Yeah. Brit, Brit, you need to Brit talk or... to a lawyer before you answer any <laughs> yeah, more questions. Yeah. <laughs> if Brynn or Theo were here, I'd be safe. Yeah, but... we don't we don't let people have lawyers in the House Conspiracy <laughs> Podcast room for for obvious reasons. Yes, of course. Um, all of them related to me. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, that's it's complex, man. It's extremely complex. Um, so little people like what's the the statement it's i think is it by act global no oh, by, act lo- think global think, act local yeah act yeah local, think global yeah which is basically like think global by local sometimes mm. um but uh i don't know it's not as simple as just changing consumer habits that's for sure that was something i believed for a long time two years ago i was just just buying organic and and just trying to make diet change and thinking that would change. But you have to change that kind of philosophy um, into thinking of that bigger picture, like global. How the hell do you tackle that problem? I have no idea, really don't. I think it's just gonna come from small communities and then we have to eventually change our our mind's outlook. Yeah. And sort of shift that across to multiple people. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I, Big question. It's, it's, it's a huge <laughs> Big question. question. I, uh, yeah, I, um, I, I, I really struggle with that as, as an answer because I think that mm. what because there are either a lot of people who are apathetic or who don't believe in climate change, yeah. like one or the other, apathy or disbelief, mm. um, what you'll end up with, I think, is a whole bunch of communities of activists yeah. and then a whole bunch of communities of people who don't give a shit mm. and with if you use this sort of community based philosophy both of those are valid and mm. so you're never going to unite the world unless you unite them through sort of national and international policy mm. I don't know that's that's my that's my big argument um, and it's I won't even get into market driven morality <laughs> um, which is my current sort of uh, obsession yeah really that, as to whether sort of you know, changing consumer habits and whatnot does affect morality. I think, like, mm. for instance, an example of that, which isn't climate change related, though there are climate change ones, is um, you look at um, Starbucks in the US. Yeah. Um, when Trump announced sort of like that he was trying to get through the Muslim ban, mm. Starbucks came out and said, we're going to hire 10,000 refugees mm. um, to work in American Starbucks. Yeah. And, um, you know, that panned out well for them. Because the kind of people who go to Starbucks are the kind of people, you know, pseudo hipsters who kind of mm. are into that. And so sort of as the socially conscious population increases, yeah. does that necessitate that private entities have to act in a moral way? Because if they're not, they'll be punished by the market. Mm. Like when those um, Christian bakers in the US wouldn't bake the cake mm. for the gay couple. Mm. And now they're not in business anymore. Mm. Yeah, I think it's definitely like that's what business owners are going to have to do. Are they they're actually going to have to change their own morality based on the market? Um, whether they do that or not, actually, well, it's already happening, of course, and particularly in advertising as well. Like, I work in a con- convenience store and I get like the little magazine with all the new products in mm-hmm. it. First thing I noticed this week was how all of the labeling has changed to a community-driven um, kind of logo. Like, it's the the dairy farmer or it's like the, it's one of them was actually called i think um the community snack pack which is just so fucking crazy it's like they haven't changed anything on it except the the packaging but now it's the community snack it like comes from the community we made it so mm-hmm. i think despite whether they are changing or not 
I think it has a lot to do with advertising as that's the, the primary um, way of, you know, giving a particular um, image of your business. So whether it's true or not depends on how much information we actually have, whether it's a logo we're seeing or whether the actual actions, like that's really tr tricky. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, and that's a really good point and a really great sort of critique of my sort of general argument there mm. is exactly that, like, well, yeah, we, you know, 10,000 refugees is probably like 0.1% of Starbucks employees, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and probably, I think roughly about, it's, it's actually a high number of sort of US's annual refugee intake. But um, still, I think it's a good, like, it's a, jet, a gesture nevertheless, and also the fact that people, the fact that the community is kind of appealed by it, like, that's a good sign, right? Mm. Like, at least people look at it and say that's a positive thing, yeah. even if it is a small point. And, and the fact that, the fact that it's having to happen yeah. seems to me indicative that we as a, as a society are going to start punishing bad companies mm. in the same way that um, divestment campaigns have really worked. Yeah. Like divestment from banks has been like a big climate thing and I divested and shifted from NAB to Bendigo a couple of years ago and then NAB pulled out of the mines eventually after sort of the divestment That's went great. through. So yeah, I think, I, think we're, I, think, I think we might be seeing a shift. It's just a question of sort of is the shift fast enough? Mm, yeah, that is, that's, that's kind of depressing. That's the depressing thing, yeah. Right? Um, is because we are a bit overdue now and you know <laughs> we are literally overdue yeah very much so like I, I mean scientists were panicking in the 20th century like all the time about it and we get to this point now where you know we're seeing effects and i'm pretty sure there's a huge lag between when um when the gases are released in the atmosphere and when we see their actual effects so you know the stuff that the heating that we're having in queensland right now is actually a result of you know the first coal that was burned from the factories which is freaking crazy so we have to mitigate and we have to act um very fast to kind of create community i think that's actually going to be the only saving grace is being able to have people that are close to us that we can kind of act politically and there will be groups that are apathetic and you know nihilistic and i was one of them previously but i had a i have a really excellent um political friend tim lacerdo he's in melbourne at the moment i think working for the greens and he invited me to uh, in brisbane when he was starting up some campaigns to get involved and i didn't know what to do i was like what do you want me to do man i can't do anything so and, and i think everyone changes i think there's potential for things to be stronger and more optimistic. what was the first thing you did what was your what was the beginning of sort of your quote-unquote activist journey I, I, don't, I still don't even think i am but um at least more interested in it um uh i don't know maybe going to that right to the city meeting before mm -hmm. but before that probably re reading a lot of um a lot more uh political philosophy was you mentioned chomsky yeah, that did have a huge impact on me. I was joking about it before, but it definitely did. I think every, he changes everyone's lives. Yeah, he's a, he's a smart guy. He's a yeah. smart guy. Mm, yeah, getting old now too, though. If he, when he dies, there'll be like a bit of a bit of a sad. I think I think there'll be a little bit of a little bit of mourning for Noam Chomsky, regardless of whether people sort of fully agree with him mm. or not. Like I don't fully agree with him on everything, but he's essential. Yeah, he's one of the most sort of rational voices on the the left who mm. sort of is yeah still around yeah yeah even if even if his um his enemies um don't have anything don't ha don't have any kind of um liking to him like he's been very influential in field yeah. of linguistics too so 
yeah. yeah and it's it's amazing sort of how many enemies he's he's made despite the fact that he's mm. he is usually more or less correct yeah well it's hard being correct it's like jonathan shree having to deal with the idiots at brisbane city council half the time because he's he's doing great things for the community that must be extremely hard that's probably why i wouldn't ever become too much of an activist because unless you have people around you supporting like he must um it must be very difficult so yeah it that's very hard like being being politically engaged and then having people around you like insulting you i think someone just he went to do a lecture i heard at uq and someone just called him a silly hippie like silly dirty hippie you're just gonna go around playing your music and 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 having chai tea but um he's extremely intelligent yeah he also (laughs) rapped dude we did that we went to the pool party it was amazing oh was that the pool party everyone yeah the fundraiser for um for the uh, feminist organization i can't remember what it's called um it was for one of the uh safe houses was it i think women's house i think so yeah yeah um, but that was a great event. So I think mm. West End's kind of coming together just, um, despite all the gentrification that's occurring at the moment. Yeah, or, or in direct reaction to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I guess tying this back to your art after this sort of political mm. diatribe we've gone on. Yeah, I wasn't expecting um, that, but that's sick. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all about tangents here at the uh, House Conspiracy Podcast. Um, <laughs> Or, or uh, as it'll be uh, rebranded soon, uh, the Jonathan O'Brien Tangent Hour um, <laughs> with Jonathan O'Brien. <laughs> my name is so Hi, good. I'm Jonathan so, O'Brien. So, I love my voice, Jonathan O'Brien. <laughs> so, so good, my name's in the title twice. Um, and uh, how do you see your role politically as an artist? Do you see mm. do you see that as valuable, or do you, do you see sort of your role as an artist to sort of bring aesthetic beauty and then to sort of act politically elsewhere like i don't know do you see i mean that you can't really separate it but like how do you see it in in your personal practice mm, well i don't know what those images look like there right now but i don't think they're particularly political as they could be and that's something that's going to be more of a driving force is looking at issues that are going on around me it, even little small things and um, exploring those uh, having a deeper meaning politically, I think, is something I'm going to continue engaging with. And I think it's relevant. I think it's extremely relevant is artists continue to do that because many don't. Like, there's the $30,000 per painting artist working on the Abso site, and what the hell do they mean? It's $30,000 per painting? Oh, he, I think he's some extremely, um, like, gallery-driven um, artist who's getting a lot of money to doing all those arts on the Abso mm. site. It's just sort of all just very washing nonsense with no meaning it's just kind of appealing to bourgeois you're not a fan of the art across the road from it's it's pretty good actually Uh, it's okay (laughs) i actually don't i actually don't i'm going on the record to say that the art across the road from house conspiracy is not as good as the art in house conspiracy um also stop starting an artist in residence program across from our artist in residence program that's right um uh sekisui house uh this is i'm calling you out (laughs) um yeah yeah it's it, it has been weird to sort of see the contrast with sort of like it is very washed out and there, mm. there are some very good there are some very good works sort of sitting oh. in that mess of yeah, noise oh, it's, it's ex- definitely extremely talented um, but like kind of just doing that um, just for the sake of money is kind of weird it's just kind of using I don't know it's not, not selling out because we all want to make money either so it's just 
kind of just strange that that's happening. There was already an excellent arts hub there occurring too. Mm, with Vision Gallery. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Far out. Yeah. yeah, most definitely. So that's really sad. Um, but, hey, that's that's the nature of it. Yeah. It's the nature of it. Um, yeah, yeah, there's there's a shifting world out there, Sonny. And, uh, it's all right. We can just stay in here drinking tea and making art. We'll yeah. be okay. Speaking of which, maybe it's uh, time to get another one. Um so, uh, you can be found online at sonnyobrien.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it's S-O-N-N-Y, O'Brien. Um, and uh, what will you be doing next? What's, what's next after House Conspiracy? You move out on Sunday? Uh, yeah, I will... I'm going to continue with the um, prints, I think, doing some more mm-hmm. of the comp- contact printing. And um, I think making... Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. That's that's the thing. It's always unexpected. So we'll see what happens. More play. More play from Sunny more O'Brien. Hey, thanks so much for sitting down and uh, chatting. Thank you, Jonathan it's, O'Brien. It's been good. <laughs> Thank you, Sunny <laughs> O'Brien. My my long lost uh, twin. Yeah, we're, we're twins. <laughs> my tall my tall skinny twin. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to the House Conspiracy podcast recorded at House Conspiracy, produced by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morris. If you have feedback or you want to say hi, or if there's something you'd like to see us do, you can email us at house at houseconspiracy.org and you can email me directly about ideas for future podcasts at jonathan at houseconspiracy.org. You can also support us by becoming a member or by donating to us at houseconspiracy.org slash donate. See you next time.